Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Hear the word of the Lord. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, For those of you who are new, my name is Gabe Coyle, and I am the campus pastor here at Christ Communities downtown campus. And on the morning of daylight saving time, I figured one thing that will wake us all up is talk of real estate. (laughs) Not really. Cheesy joke. Okay. So whenever you buy a house, whenever you buy a house, what is the most important thing you inspect? Anybody shout it out? The foundation, okay, the text kind of gave you a hint. But all right, so here's the deal. Your open concept kitchen or being near those trendy neighborhood restaurants. You like how I took that victory away from you? I didn't mean to do that, by the way. That was really good participation. Being near those trendy restaurants or you have an open concept kitchen or someone said the the first service, having a walk-in closet. Those are all really nice things. And yet if your foundation is off, they're pointless. Because look, you could be the most skilled DIY aficionado, but you can't take a bucket of paint and somehow spruce up the crumbling core of a home. Doing an inspection of the foundation of a home is just financially wise, isn't it? Then why is it when we come to our spiritual lives, it's not the first or maybe even, not even the 10th question on our list. How's the foundation here? How is the way in which I'm living, what foundation am I so making decisions? Off of what foundation am I raising my children? Off of what foundation am I cultivating friendships, doing my job, committing to a spouse? What's at the base of it all? Because listen, if your foundation is off, the consequences will be disastrous. Now, if you're new with us this morning or you're visiting from out of town, wherever you might be, we've been walking through this Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And everything that Jesus has been saying up until this point reaches its final climax before Jesus drops the mic and comes down the mountain. Because here's the deal. Every one of us, we wake up in the morning. Some of us, you sit across a desk engaging clients. Some of you are engaging children, making meal plans, organizing financial documents, working in a factory, studying for an exam, whatever. The one thing that brings us together is that everybody's building on something. Everybody's building on something. And the question that Jesus raises is a timeless one, a question we can't ignore. Do you have the right foundation? Do you have the right foundation? A foundation which, against the tests of time and tragedy, will remain standing. Because listen, the time will come when each and every one of us will be shaken to our core, but only those who have the right foundation will remain standing. 
If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to explore together what Jesus describes and details out as the right foundation. If you're using one of our community Bibles, you can find our passage on page number 812. And here's what we see right from the get-go. The right foundation always goes below the surface. The right foundation always goes below the surface. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27 once again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, Jesus for the majority of his life was a carpenter working in construction. And it's not outside the realms of possibility that he would travel often with Joseph, his stepfather, to construction sites. In Israel during the summer, the sands around the Sea of Galilee would be almost as hard as stone. And even to the naive builder, it would appear to be a really solid base upon which to build a house. But to the wise builder, he knew that it would not always be this way. The seasons will change, and those empty, cavernous wadis will be full and flooded when the winter rains come and so transform the Middle Eastern landscape. So the wise builder, knowing what is to come, chooses not to just build on the surface, but instead dig several feet below the sand, even though it may appear hard, down to bedrock, establishing a firm foundation for his or her home. Jesus is painting a construction picture. He's affirming good work well done. And actually, this is common sense to everybody who would have built in this day and age. What Jesus is saying is to hear and do his words is more than just looking the part on the surface. It's more than just cherry-picking some of Jesus' best practices for your life and so ignoring your heart. For Jesus, the right foundation always digs deep into the totality of what we love, what's below the surface. Now, if we were to look back throughout this sermon which is Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, we'll see time and again Jesus returns to the condition of the heart, what's underneath the surface. Even from the very beginning here in Matthew chapter 5, when he's detailing out his invitation of what it means to be a happy person or a blessed person, he zeroes in on the heart and one of those characteristics. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Then he moves on because he knows who we are and describes how sinfully broken each and every one of us is. And he doesn't just stay with the surface actions of murder, adultery, divorce, but instead he goes deeper to anger, lust, revenge, and a characteristic that's often missing from our hearts, love even for our enemies. And then he highlights what it even means to be a good person doing good things like generosity, prayer, fasting. And he puts our motivations on par with our actions, highlighting how often we are actually motivated by manipulating others rather than loving them. And we can take that same sort of drive in our relationship with God, but he will not be fooled in this sort of surface play acting in his kingdom. What Jesus is doing with this climaxing metaphor of his sermon 
is he's presenting two houses. And right next to each other, you have the wise person's house and the foolish person's house. And from the outside looking in, they look almost exactly the same right at this very moment. The difference lies with what's beneath the surface, what's hidden from the naked eye. And Jesus is warning each and every one of us to beware of putting up a facade. Beware of putting up a facade, like putting on a a fresh coat of paint on the outside of a crumbling house and ignoring what's going on in your heart will never hold up. You know, when I bought my house over here in Longfellow downtown, um, we knew we had to redo our bathroom, okay? It was rusty. It would leak every time you used the sink, and so it would go down into the kitchen. Um, And the, the floor was beginning to rot. So yeah, it was pretty rough, and we needed to do some work. And if you've ever done a home project, whether in your loft or in your home, inevitably the situation arises where it takes more work than you thought, more money than you budgeted, and more time than you have in your calendar, right? Well, the same was true in this scenario. We were ripping up the linoleum flooring and came to find out that the actual subflooring was less than subpar, okay? <laughs> and we had a choice to make. Some of you in here were helping me pull this floor up. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> and I had a choice to make for you too, so thank you. Um, We could either hope that the adhesive from the tile would hold things together (laughs) and that it wouldn't break and snap over the years and all of my shoddy work would be on display, or we could go all out, go down to the bones, root it out, and do it right. And the same is true for each and every one of our lives. You see, Jesus is calling you to not just be a good person, but a whole person. Not just a good person, but a whole person. He wants to transform what is deep underneath the surface persona that we present to so many. He wants to transform our hearts. And so now bring integrity to the structure of the remainder of our lives. But he has to go below the surface. If you survey this sermon in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, you see the major contrast isn't between the religious and the irreligious. In Jesus' mind, he actually doesn't have that much of a concept of an irreligious person. Instead, the major contrast between this sermon is between the religious structure of the day and Jesus' new way. Between people who from the outside looking in were the good people and now Christians, people who followed Jesus. And if you think you're here because the Christian faith is going to somehow give you this nice curb appeal, beware. Everybody's building on something. Don't be satisfied with building a shallow life on a shallow love because it'll never hold up. And listen, it's more than just good or bad actions. That's the old legalism that will eventually destroy us. Instead, it's first and foremost what God is doing inside the hidden recesses of our heart and where we can't fake it and he can see us for who we really are and he wants to transform that, he wants to grow that, he wants to breathe life there. The right foundation always goes below the surface. And that leads us to our second observation. The right foundation can withstand anything. If the right foundation goes below the surface, the right foundation also can withstand anything. Look again in your text. A wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The time came, tragedy struck, and he stayed standing. But what about this other guy? 
A foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. Synonymous language here. What's the difference? It fell. And great was the fall of it. You see, Jesus is the only one who knows how to build a resilient life. Every other place we seek to build is placed upon the ever-changing trends of human thought, the shifting sand. And that's not anything new. I mean, kids have been singing about this for generations. I sing about this, you know. The wise man builds his house upon the... Yeah, 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 you know. See, there you go. And I, I can almost wager a bet that almost every single one of us in here have heard Jesus' words in one shape or form, specifically when it comes to this metaphor. Let me ask you a question. When you hear this, where do you find yourself in this metaphor? We so often assume we are the wise person, don't we? <laughs> That's me. That's where I'm at in that story. Because we, nobody wants to have an in, unstable life. We all long to have a stable life and to not crumble when the storms come. And we can even tell ourselves that we have built our lives on a rock. But if we're honest, what do you say to all of the areas of your life that feel so fragmented? That insecurity that rears its ugly head so often. What is it we're missing? Well, I would, I would wager a guess that, that just maybe one of the key elements is that we haven't put our foundation in Jesus. We haven't built our house upon him, but instead we've been wooed by other oppressive landlords who have come promising sandy beaches, glorious homes built in a quarter of the time, I mean, why waste all that blood, sweat, and tears when you can get something sooner rather than later, easier rather than harder? Rain? What rain? We're told. The time has changed. It's a different climate. You know, and if the floods do come, we've got sandbags. See, sand isn't all that bad, right? <laughs> what about those cracks now happening in the roof? Oh, that's shabby chic. It's all the rage, right? <laughs> if you know what that term means, good on you, right? And we can so justify our sense of false security in the sand. So building our lives with the promise of money, comfort, that we often veil with the word safety, success, applause, approval, praise, popularity, and finally the desire to build my dream home the way I've always wanted to build it. Thank you very much. And then the storms come. You know, every creed or philosophy appears to work when it's easy. It's only when the storms come that's what below the surface is revealed. And there's only one foundation that can withstand anything. So this morning, for your own sake, will you assess where you've been building? Do some of that hard heart work. Assess where you've been building. Think about your five-year plan, if you're a planner. Think about the thermostat of your emotions, what gets you riled up, what makes you depressed, what makes you excited. What's at the base of your fears, your hopes, your joys? What do you daydream about? All of these are windows into the foundation of your heart. Assess where you've been building. Listen, everybody's building on something, and you're not excluded from that. Do you know where it is you're building? Is it the right foundation? And maybe you may even be sitting in here this morning and thinking, 
Well, Gabe, I've actually weathered some storms on my own, thank you very much. And I want to applaud you because I do think there are areas in which we can push through, we can grit our teeth, we can white-knuckle our way through them and feel a sense of accomplishment. But hear me, there's one storm that tops them all. Listen, there, there's one storm that shakes every single one of us to our core. No one stands in the presence of the gale force winds of death unshaken. Save one. Save one. And that's why Jesus, when he gives this metaphor at the conclusion of his glorious sermon, he talks about the rock. Not a rock, as if there are plenty places in which we can found a secure life, but the rock. There's only one right foundation, according to Jesus, with the use of that definite article. And the right foundation is Jesus. And I know that sounds Sunday school, but Sunday school got things right, you know? Jesus is the right foundation, period. There is no, well, that works for you and this works for me. That's shifting sand. That's seasonal. But when the rains come, it'll show unstable. So let's look at this. This is why the crowds respond the way they do here in verses 28 through 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Here's why this is so controversial. Here's why the crowds were walking away so astonished. Why actually the religious leaders wanted to destroy him after he was saying things like this and how later the religious leaders would take his life once he surrendered it on the cross. Here it is. What Jesus is saying is of all the options that are available to us in various religions, philosophies, or personal perspectives, there are ultimately only two foundations, me and everything else. Every bit of life, whether you realize it or not, is founded on me. The good life is founded on me and can be found in no one else. And this becomes extremely clear when we look at the context. Now, when you come to a passage in Scripture and you're reading your Bibles on your own, you come to a text, always look to the context. Because if you don't look to the context, then you fill your own pretext, <laughs> which then manipulates the true meaning of what Jesus is seeking to communicate. What is the context? Well, almost in the very breath in which Jesus gives this metaphor, back in chapter 7, verse 23, what does Jesus describe as the punishment for rejecting Jesus and his teaching? Depart from me. What Jesus is saying is that missing out on him is the worst thing that can happen in our lives. You lose Jesus, you lose everything. And you see, Jesus... His main point isn't that if we ignore him, we will be punished. That is true, but that's not his main point. His main point is, hey, if you ignore me, your life will crumble around you. I have come to save you. I've come to redeem you. I've come to give you life and life abundant. You're already condemned. You know, I, I met with a friend of mine over coffee. He's an older gentleman. And I began talking with him about this passage and saying, what do you think? What resonates with you about this metaphor afresh? And he goes, honestly, Gabe, I came to Christ later in life. And my marriage was falling apart. And I'm a living tale of the foolish man. My life was fragmented. And as I began now to build my life on Jesus and Jesus alone, sometimes the wreckage that surrounds me is just so difficult to overcome. 
Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you don't trust that the sands are as shifty and untrustworthy as Jesus proclaims they are. Maybe you're not yet there to say, Jesus can be my true foundation, the only true and lasting way to build a flourishing life. Well, if you haven't made the move, before it's too late, for your own sake, will you begin to build your life here on Jesus? Build your life here. Later on in the gospel account of Matthew, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. And he asks them, who who do people say that I am? And some say prophets and give a couple other answers. And then Peter busts out in Peter fashion, if you know anything about Peter. And he says, you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew 16. Already begin to hear how Jesus is hearkening back to this Sermon on the Mount because he begins with this beatitude language, this language of blessing. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, this foundational confession, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus is building his house, he builds it upon himself. This confession of who he is, the Christ, the son of the living God. And no longer will even the gale-forced winds of hell come to press against this house, but they're in retreat. We must see Jesus for who he is. He is our rock and our refuge. And his words are sound. Amen? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Hmm? You see, Jesus' call to obey his teaching is really an invitation to a secure life. Not comfortable, not easy, but secure. Because he knows in the ways in which we are designed and wired, and he knows who we're wired and designed for him. All him. We see this in Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul waxes eloquently about who Jesus is, who before the foundation of the world was the creator and is so sustaining all of creation that he might reconcile all things to himself. And the more we see him for who he is, the more we will genuinely love him because we know he always has our best in mind. We may not always understand it for his ways are not our ways, but we know his character And when we come to love him, we'll actually trust him in obedience all the more, even when all the cultural tide is pressing against us. You know, Jesus says later in the gospel account of John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's not once again to breed and breathe a new legalism, but like every good relationship, you trust the person who's guiding you, especially a king whom Jesus was. And is. And yet, I think one of the biggest traps for Christians that we can fall into, which is why I think Jesus highlights it here, is the foolishness of always hearing and never doing. James highlights this as well in his letter. You've maybe read that in another place. But here's the subtle gap there's a sizable difference between hearing and wanting what the wise person wants and hearing and doing what the wise person does. None of us wants our lives to fall into utter ruin. But very few of us are willing to utterly trust Jesus as the true foundation, such that it will transform the very framework of our lives. 
You know, Francis Chan, I think he describes this pretty brilliantly in one of his sermons. He says, as Christians, we can so often think that when Jesus calls us to do something, he doesn't actually want us to do it. He just wants us to memorize it. <laughs> you know, and he goes on to illustrate this by talking about how, you know, imagine his daughter were to come to him and he were to say, go clean your room. And she would go away and a couple hours later, she'd come back smiley and bubbly and say, well, sweetie, did you, did you clean your room? And she goes, you know, dad, I loved what you had to say. I memorized it. I cherished those words. Go clean your room. I can even say it in Greek. And then what I did, because I love these words so much, is I got some of my friends together. We met in my room. We looked around at how dirty the room was. And we thought about how can we go about applying and so cleaning up this room and thought about the pitfalls if I didn't clean this room. And then we prayed about it. It was wonderful, wasn't it, Dad? <laughs> No, just clean your room. <laughs> and yet that's what we do with Jesus. But Jesus wants so much more for us than to just know what he says. He knows the ways in which we are wired. He has created us and now calls us to recreation. We have been made a new creation in him and he's calling us now to the flourishing life, a secure life where he is the foundation and his words now give us the very framework on how to live. Not that we're perfect, we won't be until he returns and makes us that way, but we are to grow and to mature and to grow even in our trust in him. Faith in him always comes first. Jesus had to live, die, and rise again because we have failed. And faith in his finished work must come first, but it never remains alone. Another way of saying that is we cannot earn God's acceptance and his approval. It has been won for us in Jesus but when we engage in this relationship with God and the grace becomes the very framework in which we see our lives, we can't help but as the Beatitudes say, learn to hunger and thirst after righteousness, after him and his right ways. Knowing, yes, that the cost of following him is high and obedience is extreme, but the cost of building anywhere else is catastrophic. Listen, you don't have to believe me this morning, and honestly, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> you don't have to believe Jesus, and you have every right to reject him. But as the author of Hebrews portrays and our experience confirms, it is appointed once to every human being to die. And then what? When the time comes, do you have the right foundation? Everybody's building on something. Do you know what it is you're building on? Have you assessed yourself lately? You know, a couple weeks ago, we had our baptism celebration on a Sunday afternoon where we were able to celebrate with new believers who had given their life to Jesus over this past winter. We had representatives from all of our campuses who had now chosen to follow Jesus and believers' baptism, following Jesus' command that those who now are following him should be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we see in Matthew 28. And in that process, I met someone, and I heard her story for the first time. She's new to Christ's community. She's really new to the Christian faith overall. And she's been going to our Olathe campus for the past couple months. And by her own confession, she came looking for a refuge, a place to hide away from the storms that have destroyed everything. And I mean everything. And she's gone through the pain of losing everything once before, but enough was enough. And she finally recognized she had a foundation problem. 
not just sprucing up the paint shop. And she was willing to build somewhere else. And as you hear her story, Kristen is her name, and even some of the other miniature snippets and the video I'm about to show you, may her story be an invitation that Jesus longs to do the same in your life. And maybe you've been following him for a while and you've lost track. Hear this as an invitation to come home. Let's watch. To tell you my story without all the gritty details, just imagine my life as a house. I've had my house destroyed in the past many times. Each time there were warnings, I ignored them. I thought I could control the situation myself. And once my house was destroyed, I would rebuild. I'd use my existing foundation because I had built it and believed it was strong. I'd use the same old pieces of wood and nails to build my home, always better than the last time and always a nice fresh coat of paint. But on November 3rd, I came home to a hole. My house was just gone. No warnings, no foundation to rebuild on. I wanted to climb to that hole and die. But Jesus sent my family to tell me I was strong. And I was called to church that following Sunday. I didn't know what I expected, but I got something I never imagined. Her heart for helping others and loving on others, it's just unending. And it just, I see Christ in her all the time. I'd really like to just say we, um, your mom and I are very proud of you. We've got to see her. that Jesus is the Son of God and, that, and do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Jesus is my Savior that died for my sins. And why would you like to be baptized today? To show people that I put my faith in Jesus. Well, because of the way Christ is at work in your life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ben, who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus is God's son. Um, he dedicated his life uh, to a perfect life so that I may defeat death. And why do you want to be baptized today? I want to be baptized as a dedication to, to Christ and that I can follow in his footsteps. Um, and Izzy, can you tell us why you want to be baptized? Um, because I want to be with God much. Well, on the basis of that profession of faith, I baptize you in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the likeness of Christ's death. Raise the new life. I'm tired of living selfishly and ready to devote my life to Christ. Awesome. Well, Casey, on the basis of your profession of faith in Jesus, um, I baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in Christ's death, Christ's new life. Personally, I just feel like I've kind of lived with one foot in and one foot out, and I'm just ready to fully commit to what God has for us and to fully commit to raising our kiddos in His ways. Awesome. Okay, we'll stand the first. Okay, ready? Praise new life. 
that next step in our faith journey. And we love Jesus and we'd like to live like he would like us to. Awesome. Christ's death. Praise the new life. 